0: everybody. Good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really glad that you're here. Uh, Really glad I'm here. I have been on vacation and it's always good to come back. I miss you guys when I'm gone. Welcome those of you who are worshiping over at East Hall. Those of you who are just tuning in. Glad you have joined us. Uh, Before I get to the message, I want to tell you something that's going to be happening here at the Hudson campus uh, in less than two weeks we are hosting what is called the Remind Conference. It's a conference that's put on by Ravi Zacharias Ministries, uh, and it is phenomenal that we get to host it. Uh, It is designed for people within the ages of 16 and 30, what many people call the millennials. And if you're in that age group, uh, let me tell you this, you will not have a better opportunity to bring a friend who is a skeptic who can ask questions and get their questions answered about Christianity. You'll never have a better opportunity to have your own questions answered. Uh, this group of people are some of the smartest people I've ever been around. They give great presentations about uh, things that are relevant to our culture right now, but they're really, really good at answering questions either in a group or individually. So, And they're also inviting an artist uh, to come and give a concert. His name is Andy Minio. And if you have never, if you have heard of him, you know that just having Andy here is uh, worth the price of admission. Uh, listen, last year uh, we were able to host this conference, and I flew my daughter up from Houston because I thought it would be so good for her, and she's in that age group. And this year she is trying to get some of her friends who are skeptics to fly up with her because it was just that good, so please don't miss it. It's just in uh, a little less than two weeks, so we need you to register as soon as possible. All right, thanks. As I get into the message, let me start with a little bit of a confession. I hate to be late. And that's not really that bad, but I realize as I've gotten older, it's gotten worse. And I keep wanting to leave earlier and earlier to get someplace on time. And I realize that I am exactly the kind of person that forced restaurants to have early bird specials. Right? Because I know the time is coming and it's coming quickly where I'm going to plan to be at a restaurant at 6.30 and I'm going to arrive at 4 and they're going to have to feed me and that's the early bird, right? No one knows that better than my wife, Karen, and she hates to be the one to make me late. So she will ask me what time we're leaving and I'll tell her and then she'll try to subtract the amount of time necessary before I am pacing back and forth ready to leave. We are in a series that we have been calling The Dirty Dozen. We're looking at 12 characters in the Bible that are unlikely candidates for God to use. And this morning, uh, we are gonna look at the woman who made Jesus late. The woman who made Jesus late. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter five. And I will also have it put up on the screen uh, behind me, or on the bottom of your screen if you're watching online. Uh, I'm going to actually read two stories because I need to read the story of the woman who made Jesus late, and then I need to read the story of what she made Jesus late for. Um, They're both great stories, so I don't think you'll mind. I'm going to start reading in verse 21 of Mark chapter 5. This is what it says. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha cum," which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is God's word, and it's true and I do love it. I love both these stories, and I don't have time to go through both stories, but there are a couple of things I wanna point out about the two stories before I get into the story of this woman who made Jesus slay. There's a difference between these two stories, and I don't know if you noticed it. I didn't notice it for a long time, but it's pretty obvious. In one of the stories, Jesus is very public in the way that he deals with things. In the other story, Jesus is very private in the way that he deals With the things. This is what I mean. In the first story, the story of the woman who touches him, he pulls her out of the crowd. He wants the entire crowd to see this woman to know what he had done for her. And if there ever seemed like a time to be private, that would be it. Because it seems so embarrassing for him to pull her out of the crowd like he did. And then he goes to Jairus' house and performs arguably the much greater miracle of raising this little girl from the dead. But instead of letting everybody see, he pushes the crowd outside and only takes Peter, James, and John and the mother and father. He's very private. And Whenever Jesus changes his M.O., there's always a reason, and we should try to figure it out. So let me tell you what I think. I think Jesus was teaching two different things about faith. One was a foundational truth about faith that he wanted everybody in that crowd to know, and everybody in this crowd to know, and if you're watching this or listening to this, he wants you to know this foundational truth. And then there is a, another truth that he wants just a select few to know, and you'll know who you are in just a minute. Okay, first the foundational truth. Jairus was not your average, everyday, run-of-the-mill peasant. Mark tells us, several times in this passage that he was a ruler of the synagogue and what mark's trying to communicate is that jairus was a big deal and it was a big deal that he had come to jesus and the disciples felt that because if jairus became a follower of jesus it would legitimize the ministry for a whole group of people it's the way we think about celebrities now we say to ourselves oh man if tiger woods ever became a follower of jesus can you imagine what that would do and it's true he would legitimize Jesus to a whole group of people. That's why we think it would be such a big deal. That's what the disciples felt. That's why they were trying to clear the way and say, Come on, this clear the way. This is going to be great. Jesus is going to do this for Jairus. It's going to be great for the ministry. And you can hear the, the exasperation in their voices when Jesus stops for this woman, because this woman is not like Jairus. She's not a big deal. She's not the Tiger Woods of that area. And she's not even having an emergency. She's been sick for 12 years. She could wait another four or five hours. So why does Jesus stop? Jesus wants the entire crowd to know what is important to him. Who is important to him? And this is the lesson. If you're here and you feel like, like you're not nearly as important as some of the people who are sitting around you, Jesus says you are. Jesus stops for you. Jesus wanted that whole crowd to know. He wants this whole crowd to know today who's important to him. And the answer to that is you are. You are. But then he also wants to teach Jairus something about faith In this delay. And the thing that Jesus wants to teach Jairus is that Jesus is never really late, even though it feels like he is. If you have been a follower of Jesus for a while, then you have probably experienced Jesus being late. Because what happens is when you become a follower of Jesus, you begin to trust Jesus, you begin to pray and bring things to him, and it's just a matter of time before you bring something that's important to you to Jesus, and you are praying fervently about something in your own life or somebody that you love, and Jesus just doesn't show up. And that can be really, really hard on your faith. And that's what Jesus is going to teach Jairus. Because while Jesus is talking to this woman, some people come up to Jairus and they give Jairus the news Jairus, your daughter's dead. It's too late. That must have been stunning for the disciples. They, they, must, they couldn't believe that Jesus blew this opportunity by talking to this woman for so long. And Jesus overhears and he turns to Jairus and he says, Don't worry. Only believe. Only believe. Then he goes to Jairus' house and he, he's going to do something very tender and very personal with Jairus. He walks into the room where his daughter is laying dead, and this is what it says in verse 41 Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. That phrase, Talitha, talitha Kum, is a, a phrase in Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. The New Testament's written in Greek. But Mark just takes that, that phrase, just like Jesus said it. And it's translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. But that's actually, a, it's an Aramaic idiom. That a, a, it's like a, what a mother would say to her child to wake her up in the morning. where she would It'd be better translated this, that, that she would shake her little girl and say, Honey, honey, it's time to wake up. Jesus leans over to this little girl that is dead and he takes her hand and he says, honey, it's time to wake up. And she opens her eyes and begins to breathe. And what Jesus is communicating to Jairus is this. Anyone who has the power to say to a dead little girl, honey, it's time to wake up, and she opens her eyes and begins to breathe, that one's never late he's never late. What that means, if you're going through a really, really difficult time right now, this is Jesus for you. This is Jesus telling you something very tender and very personal, and what he's saying is this, I have not forgotten you. I'm not late. I won't be late even to your own funeral. Because when you close your eyes for the last time on this earth, the next thing you will hear is my voice saying, Honey, it's time to wake up. And you will open your eyes. Jesus is telling you now. He has not forgotten you. He is coming one way or another for you. All right? Okay. Now let's talk about the woman who made Jesus laid. I have three points. That's my habit. And here are the three points. I want to talk about the touch, I want to talk about the faith, and I want to talk about the power. The touch, the faith, and the power. First, the touch. This whole story begins with a touch, with this woman reaching out and touching Jesus and Jesus stopping, right? This is the way it's described beginning at verse 24. It says, and he went with him, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? There's both a comical kind of side of that story, and there's also a frightening part of the touch. The comical part of the touch, the disciples point out. Because Jesus is in a crowd and everybody is pushing on him. And the disciples say, what do you mean? Who touched you? Everybody is touching you. I don't know if uh, you have ever been in a crowd like that. As as Americans, we tend to like personal space. So we don't get in many crowds. I don't get in many crowds where I'm being touched. We have like a a three-foot kind of circle around us that's important for us to maintain. It's like a force field. You ever want to test it? When you get into an elevator, if you get into an elevator alone, you stand right in the middle, you push the button. If it opens and somebody else gets in, you will move to your hemisphere so that they can have their hemisphere. You ever want to weird them out? Stay in their hemisphere. Right? Because that's what Americans do. Now, every culture is not like that. There are cultures that don't value personal space nearly as much as we do. And that's okay. I was in India. This is a true story. I was in India and they do not value personal space. That's just not one of their things. So I was at the airport and I was at the ticket counter and I I have noticed too that in India, the idea of waiting patiently in a line for your turn has not really caught on yet either. So I was pushed all the way up against the ticket counter trying to talk to to the airline agent and somebody bumped me from behind and then they bumped me again. And so I turned around to see what was going on. One other guy in line. Just one guy behind me. And I was going, really? Come on, back up. Just give me some space, right? That's the way Jesus' culture was in the Middle East. So Jesus is being all touched by everybody. Now, one woman touches Jesus in such a way that power comes into her. Jesus wasn't like a live wire that everybody who touched him felt his power. It wasn't like a magic lamp that you could rub. Jesus says one woman touched him And she received power from him. And Jesus says it's because of her faith. That's what he calls it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I told you there was both a comical part and a frightening part to the touch. And this is the frightening part. You can be around Jesus your whole life and never touch him. You can be around Jesus your whole life and never touch him in a way where you experience his power that means you can grow up in church you can go to sunday school you can go to youth group you can go to young life you can get involved with bible studies you can memorize the books of the bible you can come here week after week after week and you can be around jesus but never touch him in a way where his power changes you and that should be frightening That should be frightening. In my circles, I mean, you know, people who are pastors of churches like ours, we talk a lot about millennials. Because it seems like that segment uh, is leaving the church. And, And the question is, how can somebody grow up in church and then abandon their faith? This is how. You can be around Jesus for a long time and never really touch him, which is why we host something like Remind. Because we're asking millennials, come! Make sure you don't just spend your life around Jesus and never really touch him so you can feel his power. So that's what we have. Right? So this woman reached out and touched Jesus, and she felt his power. And that brings me to the second point, which is her faith, the faith. Now, we know a couple things about this woman we know them from uh, verses 25 and 26. It says "And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and it's been all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. So we know that she had been sick for 12 years. That's a long time. She'd been sick a long time. We know something about her sickness that it wasn't a superficial scratch or a wound on the outside of her. was something that was wrong deep down inside of her. It was something that other people might not be able to notice, but she knew it. We know that she had tried all kinds of cures and nothing had worked. And if you've ever been in that situation where you've been sick and you've tried all kinds of things to cure you, yourself, that you get sick, not just of the sickness, you get sick and tired of the cures. So this woman was doubly sick. She was sick of being sick, and she was sick of trying all the cures that wouldn't work, and that drove her in desperation to Jesus. Okay, if you are searching spiritually— And what I mean by that is if you've been invited here by somebody and you came, you don't even know why you came, but you're a little bit curious or you feel like you might want to check this out, can I tell you what the Bible says about why you are searching spiritually, why you feel what you feel? The Bible says that you have a, a deep bleeding in your soul, a deep bleeding wound in your soul. And maybe nobody else can see it, but you can feel it, and you can feel it now. And what the Bible says is that every single human being has that wound. And we spend our lives trying to find different things to cure it, to make ourselves, to kind of take the ache away, to staunch the bleeding. And it starts when we're little. I remember when I was in high school. And I thought, if I, if I could experience success in sports, particularly in basketball, then that would, that would make me feel better. It would, it would cure that ache in my soul. And then I experienced success in basketball, and it didn't work. Some people see it like marriage, and they think, oh, if I just find my soulmate, and then the honeymoon ends. And even that phrase, the honeymoon ends, was probably coined because marriage doesn't do what we hope it would. There are all kinds of cures that our culture offers. Our culture says, if you experience success, if you're pretty enough or handsome enough, or you marry the right person, or you do the right thing, or you have enough money, then your soul will be cured, and nothing seems to work. All you have to do is watch TV for any length of time, and you'll see every advertiser is saying this, I know you're not really satisfied with your life. What you need is this product every advertisement is built on that. Why does it work? Because we all feel it deep down, right? So that's what you feel. And this woman got to the point where she realized that she could not cure herself, that all the cures that her culture was offering would not cure her, so she found herself going to Jesus. Now, this is really important. She went to Jesus for Jesus, She didn't go to Jesus for a referral for another cure. A lot of people, when they go to God for the first time, they'll go to God and say, God, listen, I just want to pray this. I just want this one thing. If you'll give me this one thing, I promise I'll never bother you again. I'll never ask for another. If you've ever prayed a prayer like that, if you've ever thought that in your head, what what you're telling God is this, I think I know what will cure my deep wound of my soul. And if you give it to me, I won't need you anymore. And God will say... That won't work. You do not know the cure for what is deeply hurt in your soul. This woman goes to Jesus. The question is why? Why did she go to Jesus? How did she know to go to Jesus? Verse 27 says this She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. She'd heard reports. Somebody had told her about Jesus. What had they told her? They told her something Jesus had done. Probably something Jesus had done for them. And so when she thought, what am I going to do? I can't find a cure. Who should I go to? I know, I'll go to Jesus. Two weeks ago, uh, we had a wedding for my youngest daughter, Becca. And after the rehearsal, uh, we invited some of her out-of-town friends back to our house just to Um, talk and have fun and I was talking to two of her friends I'd never met before and they asked me a question that's not an uncommon question for people to ask me they said uh hey can we ask you a question I said sure they said why did you become a pastor (laughs) because for some people it's unimaginable why somebody want to become a pastor and I always like it when people ask me that question because I get to give a report about Jesus I get to tell them something about Jesus and I don't want to tell them a bunch. I don't want to preach a sermon to them. All I want to do is give them a paragraph. And this is what I told that couple. I said, oh, I'm so glad you asked. When I graduated from high school, I went to University of South Florida to play basketball. That's all I wanted to do. And then I tried to fill myself up with everything that people said would fill a college student up, and it didn't fill me up. And I felt like nothing was working, and I finally reached out to Jesus, and he reached out to me. And when he touched me, I've never been the same. And I wanted to spend my life trying to connect people to Jesus because I think he's the only one that can cure what's wrong inside the human heart. That's it. All I wanted to do was give them an idea. Because this is true. Listen, this is true. Every person you meet, all of your friends, all of your coworkers, all of your classmates, every single person you meet, is using something to try to staunch the bleeding of their soul. And what I wanted to tell this couple was basically, if you ever get to the point where what you've been using to staunch the bleeding of your soul quits working, you can think about Jesus. Go to Jesus. You know, we've been talking about this summer as part of our Make Jesus Famous, asking you to to do what we call the My Circle Challenge. What we want you to do is just throw a party have a cookout for your friends or neighbors. And our prayer is that sometime during that cookout, one of your friends, one of your neighbors, one of your coworkers will say, why do you go to that church? And you'll be able to tell them something about Jesus. All you're doing is pointing them in the direction of Jesus. They still have have to reach out and touch him. And that brings me to the final point, which is the power, the power. And this is by far the weirdest part of this whole story because it's not strange that Jesus heals this woman. He heals other people in the Gospels. It's not strange that Jesus performs a miracle. Jesus does other miracles in the Gospels. What's weird about this story is that Jesus heals this woman and he feels the power leave him. That's strange. That doesn't happen. When this woman touched him, something happened. Oh, by the way. When this woman reached out and touched him, she, was, she didn't really understand much of what she was doing. She didn't understand theology. She, didn't, she was very superstitious in the way that she did it. She was, uh, her faith was impure and imperfect. And I tell you that because a lot of people have a misunderstanding about faith. They think they have to have really strong faith in order for Jesus to really change them. That's not true. You don't have to have much faith because it's not important how much faith you have or how strong your faith is. The thing that's important is what you have your faith in. For instance, if it's the dead of winter, of one of these really cold Ohio winters, and I have a, a pond, and the pond is frozen, and it's like eight, 10 inches thick, that ice, and I go out on the ice, and I'm jumping up and down and going, see, it'll hold you. Come on out, come on out. But you're one of those really cautious types, and you're like, I don't know, I don't know. You inch out. When you come out to me, does it have any impact at all and whether the ice is able to hold you up? None. Whether I have great faith in the ice or you have no faith in the ice. The ice holds you up because of the nature of the ice. All you have to do is step out. All this woman had to do was touch Jesus, reach out and touch him. All you have to do is reach out and touch Jesus to experience his power. But back to the weird part of his power leaving him and him feeling it leave. It doesn't happen. And it's like a, he's like a, this is like a superhero, like Superman who feels kryptonite, you know? So what happened? In other stories, Jesus doesn't lose power. Jesus feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves and a couple of fish. And he doesn't go, whoa. That took a lot out of me. I need to go take a nap. Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus, come forth. And then he doesn't grab his shorts and go, whew, man, can somebody come in for me, right? I need a sub. Jesus stills a storm that is such a fierce storm that seasoned fishermen are crying. And the way Jesus stills that storm is, is literally by saying, shh, be still. Doesn't lose po- Why does he lose power here when this woman touches him? I think the reason is because this woman was bleeding. And the fact that she was bleeding made her, according to Old Testament laws, it made her unclean, which means for 12 years she could not worship. She was not allowed to worship. Now, the the clean and unclean laws in the Old Testament are designed by God to show his holiness and our uncleanness, our sinfulness, and the gap between them. That's what the whole Old Testament is about. And this woman was unclean. So she reaches out and touches Jesus, and what happens is she becomes clean. But her uncleanness doesn't just evaporate into thin air. We know from other passages in Scripture what happens to her uncleanness is that Jesus takes her uncleanness in himself. Jesus becomes her uncleanness so that she can be clean. He not only makes her whole, he makes her holy so that she can worship. For her to become strong, Jesus becomes weak. It's the principle of substitution. It's what the cross is all about. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus did that for the woman. He does it for you on the cross. He says if you come to me, if you touch me, I can make you clean because I will take your uncleanness on me. I will take your sin on me and you can be forgiven. I will take your weakness and you can have my strength. This is the woman who made Jesus late. She made him late because she mattered to Jesus. She was important to Jesus. She made Jesus late because Jesus, when when she touched Jesus, Jesus took her unclean. He substituted himself for her. He does the same for you. He stops for you because you're important to him. If you have been around Jesus your whole life, but you've never really touched him, you can. All you have to do with Jesus is to say, Jesus, there is a deep wound in my soul. I've tried all kinds of things to cure it, and I haven't found a cure. Will you be that cure? Will you touch me? And let Jesus do the rest. And if he has done that for you, Then this week, look for an opportunity for someone to ask you a question where you can give them a report about Jesus, because everyone you meet is trying something to cure themselves. And you know the real cure. So let's make Jesus famous. Could you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you, and I am uh, so grateful that you are such a wonderful Savior, It is uh, amazing to me that you love each person here the way you love us. And that every single person here, you would stop for any person here. You would stop for every person here. And you offer to be our substitute, I pray for those who have been around you their whole lives, but never really touched you. I pray that this could be the day. For those of us who have felt your touch and your power, change us. I pray that you'll give us opportunities this week to make you famous. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen.